Let us pray that God might prepare our hearts and our minds to hear God's word for us in this place today. God of all, we ask that you would open each of our hearts and our minds to hear your word today as it is proclaimed, that you would illuminate the pages of scripture for us, that we might see the path ahead of us more clearly. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Our psalm reading this morning is Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our Gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. This continues the story we began last week, picking up on Easter Day. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. 
and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And our final reading this morning comes from the first book of Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. As today's gospel reading opens, most of the disciples are sitting together in a locked room. Judas is not there, the one who had betrayed Jesus. He'd killed himself because he was so overwhelmed by shame and guilt. And we're not told exactly why Thomas wasn't there, but he was elsewhere at the time. And we're told that the door was locked because the disciples were afraid of the Jewish leadership, who were wound up about Jesus even more than the Roman occupiers were. And that is, for the record, a pretty good reason for them to have had the doors locked. Now, earlier that same day, very early that same day, Mary Magdalene had come charging back into town from the tomb to tell them that Jesus' body was gone. And then again, later, to tell them that she had seen their risen Lord. The disciples were probably buried in a pile of emotions and thoughts and conflict that they were trying to sift through. Had Mary really seen Jesus, or was she just losing it? Had he really risen, or had someone stolen the body to trick them? And regardless of whether he'd risen or been stolen, were they the ones that were going to get charged with stealing the body? How much trouble were they going to be in over this? So their fear on this crazy, mixed-up, confusing day is pretty understandable. Mary had seen Jesus and had told them so, but after getting the news from her, 
And not having seen Jesus yet themselves, they just sat in a locked room fussing about what to do next. Either they were just paralyzed with fear or didn't really believe Mary, even though they saw the empty tomb. But either way, they take no action at all after she tells them that Jesus is risen. They confirm her story about the empty tomb. Several of them go and check it out. But then they just sort of sit on this news for a while. Until Jesus appears in the midst of their fear and confronts them with the crazy, too-good-to-be-true reality of Jesus, risen, standing right in their midst, in spite of their locked door, and confronting them also with the shameful reality that they were still just sitting around, hemming and hawing, locked up in a room, hiding from reality. So, of course, when they see Jesus, they rush right out and begin spreading the gospel, right? Not so much. Because as we move on, eight days later, after the first appearance, they're still sitting around with the doors locked again. So you have to wonder about Thomas. Is he doubting Jesus or the other disciples? Because if they're still sitting there, are they really believing the resurrection? Have they seen him and not really believed? Is their fear so overwhelming that even having seen him, they're still just sitting there trying to figure out what to do next? I mean, poor Thomas. He's always pegged, he alone, as the doubting ones. But the other ones saw Jesus and then didn't do anything. Thomas doesn't doubt once he sees Jesus. When we look closely at this narrative, Thomas has no less faith and no more doubt than any of the other disciples who were there. Ten of the disciples' lives remain the same after their first encounter with the risen Jesus. So can you blame Thomas for not believing them? The best witness for the good news is a transformed life. Because if we aren't transformed by this news, how can we expect anyone else to listen to what we have to say? If our response to encountering Jesus is to remain locked up in the same room, do we really have any more faith than someone who just hasn't encountered Jesus yet? The disciples were scared, and that's understandable. There were some very scary people who were quite riled up by the whole Jesus scandal. We just have to be careful not to put all the blame on the guy who hadn't even seen Jesus yet. It's easy to pin the label of doubter on someone who hasn't encountered Jesus and to forget our own tendency to sit in a locked room for fear of what's on the other side of the door. Watch what Jesus does next. He knows exactly what the disciples need, and he goes straight to it. In the midst of their paralyzing fear, Jesus speaks peace. And to Thomas's doubt, he says, here I am, see me, touch me. The disciples may not even know themselves what it is that they need in that moment, but Jesus does. He does give them a little bit of a hard time for not believing and acting on that right away. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. But he doesn't count them out for being slow, 
even when they have clearly not started off on their mission of spreading the gospel yet. He doesn't give up on them. When ten are scared, and the eleventh doesn't believe that the other ten have seen Jesus, he shows up right in the middle of them. And he doesn't shame Thomas for what we often refer to as doubting. He gives him the exact same opportunity to see him and hear him and touch him that the other disciples had. They are all given the same mission in the end. Go and tell the gospel through your words and through your actions, not just by sitting around in a locked room talking about it. I did a little bit of research this week out of curiosity, and I found out that 73% of Pennsylvanians consider themselves Christians. And that's according to the Pew Research Center, which is uh, not affiliated with any one religion or denomination or political party or anything like that. Uh, They also list that 82% of people in our state are at least fairly certain that God exists. That's 8 out of 10 people. 64%, well over half, say that religion is important in their life, and another 28% say it's somewhat important. But fewer than half, only 44% of professing Christians in Pennsylvania go to church weekly. 38% go once or twice a month or a few times a year. And the rest, 18%, seldom or never go. This is not people who don't believe in God. These are people who consider themselves Christians. Nearly 2 out of 10 professing Christians seldom or never go to church. These numbers are only slightly higher than the state numbers overall of all people professing any faith or no faith. You can look up that info if you want to check out more of it. Um, I'd put a link in the sermon manuscript. Uh, Pew Research Center has a website with more information than you could possibly read in one day. But looking at that, I wonder if people today are doubting God or if they're doubting the other disciples. When the numbers of self-proclaimed Christians and people overall who are going to church are that close, it's hard to claim that the problem with empty pews in our churches here in Pennsylvania is God. We have to stop trying to claim that people who aren't in church aren't in church because everyone doubts God. It's the other disciples they don't seem to believe. Faith is more than knowledge. It involves trust, and it involves action. Going out on that limb, stepping out from your comfort zone, which is not always easy. It can actually cause some serious mayhem in a person's life. In fact, I've been known to argue that if your faith isn't causing serious mayhem in your life, you might want to ask God what you're missing out on. Because here is the thing about mayhem and about being uncomfortable and doing the things God says to do, even if they sound crazy or unpopular or distressingly new, once you embrace it and hop on for the ride, the joy and abundance that flow out of it are literally out of this world, and they are contagious. Our very basic faith in Jesus is our salvation, and it is what makes life beyond this world beyond this earthly lifetime, possible. It's what gives us the opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God when all here on this world is said and done. 
But it is the stepping out, the trust part of faith today, right now, that allows us to experience the kingdom of God right here and right now. We experience the kingdom in relationships that are built taking meals to homebound community members. We experience the kingdom when we give ridiculously to those who don't have the same privileges that we do. We experience the kingdom when we look into the eyes of someone other people avoid and we have a genuine conversation with them. We experience the kingdom when we spend half our day talking to someone who doesn't have anyone else to talk to, even when we have a million other things to do. There have been weeks in which I have felt beat down and sad and tired of ministry and tired of this broken world. But then I've walked into the jail to teach my weekly class, and suddenly I know that God is still around. Right there, in a place full of people that the world has all but given up on. That makes sense, doesn't it? Who did Jesus spend time with during his earthly life? The sick, the unwanted, the people society looked down on as trash because of their history or their ethnicity or their gender or their health. Of course that's where we still find Jesus today. Just as Jesus is our living hope, we are to personify the living hope of Jesus Christ in the world around us. Jesus talks about peace to the disciples several other times in John. This is not a new concept in this particular passage. And when he talks about peace with them, he tells them about peace that is so much more than just a worldly lack of conflict. It certainly includes that, but there's more. There's something significant about his telling them, peace be with you. The Westminster Theological Word Book gives co-terms for peace that include kingdom of God, justice, justification, and righteousness, reconciliation, joy, faith, and salvation, love, wholeness in body and spirit. Just think about that. The next time you pass the peace to your neighbors during a church service, there's a reason we say the peace of Christ be with you. There's a reason that is in every church service. We are not just passing on some watered-down worldly peace to one another. We are repeating the words of Christ to his disciples in that locked room. We are assuring one another of the promise he brings and the mission he gives. And we are saying, may the kingdom of God, may righteousness reconciliation, joy, faith, love, and wholeness be with you. We are saying that to our families who sit with us, our friends who sit with us, people we love and see every week, sometimes even people we're a little mad at. In fact, if you're ever mad at or hurt by someone in church or from your family, you should make it a special point not to miss them in the passing of the peace that week. Just as Jesus went out and mingled with the masses, we also have been charged to do so. And we surely need that peace in order to accomplish that mission. Because without that peace, we just sit scared in a locked room once a week and talk about the gospel news amongst ourselves. And without that peace, 
Our worship is timid and small and unheard by everyone outside these walls. But when we have truly accepted that peace that turns the world upside down, our worship is bold and big and loud and people hear about it. None of us here this morning were in that locked room 2,000 years ago. Each of us heard about the news of Jesus' peace from other people. So shame on us if we don't turn around and pass that on again through our own transformed lives. In Blue Like Jazz, which is another book I encourage all of you to check out sometime, Donald Miller writes, I never liked jazz music because jazz music doesn't resolve. But I was outside the Baghdad Theater in Portland one night when I saw a man playing the saxophone. I stood there for 15 minutes, and he never opened his eyes. After that, I liked jazz music. Sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. It is as if they are showing you the way. Now, I'm sure many people tried to convince Miller many times through clever arguments that jazz is great. But none of their reasoning or arguments convinced him to like jazz. It was the unfiltered, public, unmasked, risky, and vulnerable love for it that he saw in another person that did it. This is what the scripture means by genuine faith and inexpressible joy. It's not enough to tell the people around us that we love church. Like Thomas, it is not unreasonable that most people need to see it. It's not enough to say my church isn't like the others that may have hurt you. We have to show them that we aren't. Now, I know that y'all know how to do joy here. I know that you know how to do love and peace here. I've seen it. It's one of the wonderful things that I've had the privilege of seeing in both of the precious congregations that God has dropped me into the middle of lately. So as we enter into the season of Easter, in which we read through the scriptures about the spread of gospel, the beginning of the church, We'll be exploring together ways that we can, as individuals and as a congregation, share that peace, that joy, that passion, that living hope to the community around us. And if you have any thoughts, questions, or ideas on that subject, you know where to find me. I'm easy to get a hold of. That's what I'm here for. Let's start having conversations with one another around the dinner table or before or after church. Tell everyone where you have experienced God's kingdom in this world and ask them where they have experienced God's kingdom in this world. And don't forget about the Exploring the Word this week sheets in the back because I have some starter ideas for you on that, some questions, suggestions, and conversation starters so that you can keep steeping in this week's scriptures. Friends, God's living hope, Jesus Christ, is seen by the world primarily through the action-packed faith of his disciples who set aside their fear, step out of the locked room, and share their peace and joy with everyone around them. So let's step out of that locked room together. May the blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.